Hello everyone, welcome to Fansation, the podcast where we talk about anything and a little bit of everything with you, the fans. As always, my name is Accordion, the host of this series, and I'm joined here by the spontaneous, the absolutely wonderful child beater that is Professor Tiberius. Hello. Hello. What a what an introduction. Oh, that, uh, <laughs> everybody everybody seems to love my introductions. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes. So, so Ty, I'm just going to call you that because that's what I do. Care to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So, I stream online as a VTuber. I do a lot of Pokemon content. I've played Pokemon for a significant part of my life ever since the first games came out. I was like a small child myself. And I also play competitively, which is weird because a lot of people meet me and they're like, oh, you're a VTuber. Like, yeah, it's like, but you're here. It's like, yes, I'm a person. <laughs> Whoa, I imagine. Imagine and, that. And the wild part is, uh, un- unlike most VTubers that we just kind of see nowadays, you're just strictly human. Yeah, no, I'm I'm token human friend for most people. Yeah, which, ironically enough, even though I'm not, like, a VTuber myself, but my character, per se, is... He's mainly human. Yeah. At least that's what his uh, base design is. I, I, I add in whole extra BS to make him sound more cool than that, but the the I, idealistic design is, hey, he's a human. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, it's uh, to me, it's like you're... you're online avatar for when you're doing stuff like it's it's you and it's more or less me like a vtuber model is like the body i had when i was like in my 20s and prime health and like my current head so <laughs> it's, it's your head ken and you're just like mm, I'm, I'm still exactly like this yes i'm actually getting, i'm finally getting back into shape so well hell that's Take care of really good to hear really good to hear my guy but with that, we we have gathered here together. Hack in English. Let me let me rephrase that. Jesus, we have been gathered here today amongst the many listeners and other do sayers that aren't actually saying anything to talk about the legendary, the almighty topic of competitive Pokemon. Yes, and it's. Now, long history. Well, long compared to most esports, I think. Yeah, uh, considering that what the first Pokemon game came out in 1996? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Jesus, 96. I, I was negative four years old. And I was six. <laughs> <laughs> ah, well, if it was at home, learn how to do math. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, what could could you tell me? Uh, what what makes Pokemon in itself? I, I mean, well, here let's first start out. What the hell is Pokemon? What the hell is Pokemon? Um, a a brand that rivals Disney, <laughs> and somehow isn't Disney, or owned by Disney. It started off as the two games became a huge anime sensation both in Japan and the West. Once it got ported over put on Saturday morning cartoons and then kind of spiraled into this monstrosity that it is today. So mostly it's a, it's a game around capturing monsters. You collect them and you battle with them. And that's mostly what the story's built around. It's like those two things. And then competitive is min maxing that battling portion to the extreme. Um, the amount of tools spreadsheets I've seen, like the amount of time people spend preparing for competitive is on par with like what people do for like because I think League of Legends is kind of like the most well known esport out there, and you know that a lot of a lot of the top players, you know that that's like their job is to play every day, and um a lot of the players who do competitive, consistently top cut in tournaments, they're playing this like it's their second job. Where some of them their actual job. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's I'd say. A lot of the ones that it is their job, they kind of supplement that with content creation because the payout for Pokemon or like a pet of Pokemon is super low. I mean, yeah, understandably so, because I think in the day it's just a video game. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they use a lot of their competitive 
Pokemon skills to make content out of it. It makes perfect sense, in my opinion. Although, like, so, like, I think the one everyone, most people know, there's, like, two that most people know, and then there's a few others. Like, I think some of the best out there actually don't perform well in tournaments because they spend so much time honing the craft of content creation around it, ironically, that they they don't have that, like, full-time spend on preparing for tournaments, which I find fascinating. I mean, that also makes sense because they're literally taking a chunk of the time that they could be using to practice and get better to create the content. So, I mean, in a sense, it makes it makes a lot of sense. It does. Yeah. I'm using the word sense a lot today, apparently. Mm-hmm. Word of the day. <laughs> the, your word of the day is sense, which has multiple definitions that I will not read off of Wikipedia. So with that, the, the competitive scene, it's seen a lot of different variations, uh, considering, you know, based off of, like, as soon as a new game comes out, I assume the new competitive scene just slowly kicks up and they try to figure out what this iteration of Pokemon is like, all right, what can we do, what we can't do, what's broken, what's not broken, as yeah. most games tend to be whenever something new of their series comes out, they try to figure out what what can be allowed, what can't be. I mean, just like uh, with uh, a good example, uh, Smash Bros., the competitive scene for that is is a bit all over the place, yeah. but it the the competitive between melee players and the competitive between ultimate players are like vastly different. So with melee, it's I don't know, how old is melee now? It's over a decade uh, it came old at out this point. Two thousand one, I think. Yeah, so it's twenty two decades. There's been two decades of like meta-analysis gameplay styles people like aging to the point where they need controllers to combat their carpal tunnel like that in pokemon so here's what happens with pokemon uh, as soon as a, a new game comes out and i'm also going to explain what happened after the pandemic because it it actually changed the game or it changed the way the meta progresses in a lot of different ways um new game comes out first thing people look at is what are the new pokemon and are any of the old Pokemon that were like meta staples allowed? So like, for example, uh, also going to a character that's in Smash Brothers, Incineroar. Incineroar is probably the best support Pokemon ever made in, in competitive. And in fact, most people try and recreate Incineroar in other Pokemon just to uh, use it on their teams every when it's not allowed. So right now, instead of Incineroar, everyone's using Arcanine as their like support to fill that role. And the meta would kind of slowly create, creep up. People would win big tournaments. Those are streamed on Twitch and YouTube. And that kind of decides the meta. Uh, Two big changes have happened since the pandemic. Um, The amount of people who play competitive and go to tournaments has over quadrupled to the point where they can't support all the people who want to go. Jesus. It's that many people are signing up. So there's kind of, uh, how should I explain this? All right, so let's go over tournament structure real quick just to kind of give everyone an idea of why that's like a, a problem right now. So there used to be, before the pandemic, there was premier challenges. Those were held in game stores. You know, small tournaments, like 20, 30 people maximum. Then the next level up was a mid-season showdown. You would have those in like hotels, like maybe a really big game store. That's like somewhere around 50 to 70 people maybe max probably closer to the 50 side and then you have the regionals regionals happen like once every two to three weeks um and they are the big tournaments that get those are always streamed generally like the actual pokemon website will stream those like officially and that's kind of like everyone looks to those to like see what's really good in the format now when the pandemic happened everything got canceled to this day, there is no premier challenges, which is like the local, the, the small local. There's no midseason showdowns. There's only regionals. And then there's something bigger than regionals that they started doing in the past, like, I was going to say four years, but the pandemic kind of skews it because there was like a break period, like since the past two generations. So um, they're called the internationals. And there's uh, four every year, I believe. Well, for the video game, there's only three. So there's Oceana, which is in Australia. EU, which they kind of changed the location, and North America. Usually, there's always one in Australia, 
then they'll do one somewhere in Europe and then one in the States. Generally, I think one's been in Canada. As you go from top to bottom, they all give different points and everyone's going to these to get points so they can qualify for the world championship. It's not really about the money that you pay to enter. It's you want those points because the Pokemon company officially recognizes these tournaments. If you get enough points, you qualify for worlds. That's kind of like what everyone's vying for. And what, what, what exactly is the uh, world championship then? So up until last year, it was in North America every year. And every region in the world would have their championship, which was structured a little differently depending on the region. So Japan has their own nationals. I think like Asia has two circuits that are separate. And then EU, North America, South America, and Oceania uh, have their own bra- uh, their own circuits. But people from all four of those regions can go to the other regions to get points. For those four specifically, the other one, like, so what's kind of bad is like, so let's say someone from Japan wants to go to a Oceania tournament because Australia isn't that far from Japan. Um, They can get points, but they can't use those points to go to Worlds. Oh, well, that sucks. Yeah. And it also means that someone else who went to that to get points also doesn't get points. So that's like the, probably one of the flaws in the system, but like, I could, I could go more into that later, but. Mainly, it's people vying to get points to go to Worlds. Each region also has a different point threshold. So, like, this year, North America, you need 300 points to qualify for Worlds. And that tournament gets the most, view, like, gets the most eyes. It is the most difficult tournament because, like, each region has their own meta for the most part. And it's like, you're going to be facing the best people in the world. And you're going to see things that, like, just didn't develop in your in your region for the most part. So it could be like completely different new strategies you've never seen before. And yeah. you're just like, oh, I now I got to improv on the spot how to handle this unless you're smart and do your research beforehand. Yeah. And the research is doable. Like some of the best play, like the best players are generally content creators. So you'll see stuff, but like a lot of stuff keeps like kind of hidden up until the, the world tournament. Or some yeah. people will just bring like what they're most comfortable with because they're like the master of that strategy. So, all right, gotcha, gotcha. All right, so I I, I didn't know how. Uh, I guess technically the correct term would be political. The competitive scene there was, but I mean, it, it as I hate to say, makes sense because <laughs> uh, there there there's so many different metas and so many different games too. So like as much as I personally hate going off of metas uh is is kind of the main thing that keeps such things alive Mm -hmm. well so i would say over each generation it's been varying degrees of good metas versus bad metas i'd say right now and with the new game scarlet and violet it's the best we've had because like there's no duplication of like teams really like everyone's bringing different stuff and doing really well. It's not like one thing or one Pokemon in particular is just so good that everyone has to bring it. That's kind of the issue with it. We have with Incineroar for the past few generations. It is so good that it just dominates like the usage charts. Right. So the most recent uh, regional that I went to the finals were people. It was like never won a regional before were two people in the finals. And their teams were drastically different. They shared one Pokemon in common. But they were also playing the Pokemon differently, too. All right. Stuff like that, though. I that That's stuff that I'm just like, all right, that's actually really fucking cool. I love that because the amount of variety and difference that you can see out of such things is amazing. And yeah, seeing with the meta, it's like, well, you have to have this specific one or this specific one or you're just not going to win, Buster. That that type of shit has always got under my skin. It, it gets under everyone's skin. And um, like it, the meme in the Pokemon competitive community is to hate on Incineroar. Like everyone hates it, but we all know how good it is. Yeah. It's just like we we hate that we have to use him, but he's actually really fucking good. So we're still going to use him. Yeah. And then it's like what happens is like it's always in finals. One person has Incineroar, one doesn't. And you're like, everyone's rooting for the Incineroar guy, the not Incineroar guy to win. 
but sometimes it just works out. The guy has Incineroar. He's probably going to, you know, he's just, he's basically a wall and he reduces both stats and can stop you from attacking. Oh, it's, it's too oh. good. It's too good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I see, I see why he's so good now. Yeah. Jesus. Cause uh, I'll be perfectly honest. My Pokemon knowledge is limited to the first four gins. Cause after that point, I just kind of dropped off. It wasn't really catching my interest and I didn't have the uh, the up-to-date modern technology that the newer games started to come out on. Hell, I didn't even own a DS until I was uh, in, like, freshman year of high school. And even then, it was one that I borrowed from somebody and too poor to buy the games. Especially with them costing, like, still 50 to $60 in game stores. I'm just like, ass. Yep, yeah. Pokemon games, well, now, like, physical ones retain their value because they don't, no one really gets rid of them. Like, they, it's actually a game that people hold on to if they buy it. And it has, like, competitive value because they've allowed you to trade up Pokemon over the generations. That That is true. I I remember the, the option, uh, hmm. literally, if you have all the right equipment, you can literally take Pokemon from blue and transport it all the way up to, I it, can can it get to the the newest set of games? It will very soon. But so they well to go briefly into that whole thing. Um, Pokemon Home is their like online service that works on your mobile phone and it works on the Switch. Any new game that comes out in the Switch is compatible with Home. So if since you can get everything currently into Pokemon Home. It'll make it to the new game once they add that new game to Pokemon Home. So it just needs to be updated. Yeah, and they don't do that right away for a couple of reasons. Part of that is like Pokemon games have been released kind of buggy recently. They want to make sure there's no glitches for duplicating Pokemon or like huge exploits in the game. So they don't make it to home because Pokemon Home is also how you like it's like the global trading network is built into it, too. So if you want to like trade a specific Pokemon with someone, that's how it's done on there. It's done through that app. Interesting. Yep. Like uh, the Diamond and Pearl remakes that came out recently or past few years. They had a duplication glitch. It was very easy to do. Pokemon Home was not connected to that. It was actually delayed. They delayed the connection of Pokemon Home to that one until that was fixed. Well, damn. The more you know. Maybe maybe I should start looking at Pokemon a bit more. I just haven't really had a reason to. Yeah. But, I, uh, it's always going to be there. Or, and most people know about it, so it's like you're not. I, I, the thing is, like you're never missing out on a Pokemon game, is my opinion. But one, they kind of released kind of buggy now, which I hope after they resettle after the whole issue with the pandemic development cycle, shouldn't really happen as much anymore. I hope. Hopefully. Yeah. And two, like the games, like I mean, this is also a criticism of the games. They don't really change that much. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. I think the biggest change we've seen is whenever they released uh, Arceus. Yeah, that was the big change. And Scarlet and Violet have a lot of the good stuff from from that game, too. Just, you know, minus all the the graphical glitches and etc. I mm-hmm. just to state my personal opinion on the matter. I still think they should have held out on doing the release. But so my opinion on that is torn. Because I'm a huge fan of the games and I'm also a competitive player. If the if, if you hold back the game that is the competitive one, you delay the whole competitive game cycle that they've had for the since Gen 5. Which I I, I was aware of that. because uh, I remember you talking about it. Yeah. So it's like, okay, so the competitive person is like, you know, this is like and I'm also I want to go into like how that how the game being unfinished has affected the tournament too, because it has affected it quite quite a bit. But um, reality is they didn't finish the game in time. Am I glad that they released it instead of holding it for competitive? One hundred percent. That is very selfish, though. Um, it is a game played by millions and millions more that do not care about that side of the game. Maybe they you know watch it. Maybe uh, the numbers. It's like conservatively, maybe like 5% of like the whole Pokemon community cares about watching the streams across their four competitive games now. It's probably bigger than that, but maybe 5% at one time is watching until Worlds, and then maybe it's like 10% is watching. But everyone else just plays them to have fun, 
have a good experience and enjoy it that way. And it was hampered for competitive, which, you know, as a fan of the series too, that, that, that sucks. And I, I think just the, the way companies release games and the whole thing with, you know, competitive being a thing with these games, I guess they had no other choice because then like you have to cancel everything surrounding competitive and that would probably just cancel competitive for the year. So there's, there's good and bad. I think there's more bad. (laughs) Yeah. There's definitely a lot more bad about it, but I mean, at least, you know, yeah, I got, you got something out of it. You got something. Yeah. But, uh, hell with, with all this, could, could you explain a bit about your background and how exactly you got into, uh, competitive in the first place? I mean, it's like a, I guess it's a childhood dream that I didn't think would be possible. And then like gen five, I was in high school. So that's when they first like kind of officially said, we're going to have a world championship. And at that time they were free to go to, you could just go there and play. Um, I didn't have a way of going, but I wanted to like find a way to get there. Like I didn't have a car, like I have a friend with a car that was willing to drive. Like I think it was like in Connecticut I was in New York. So I prepared for this thing. I ended up not going, but like ever since then, like I've kept up with the scene. I've tracked like strategies. I tried to build my own. And ever since like then when those games came out, like it's like what, 15 years later now. Um, when I got finally got to the point where I was financially stable to travel for these things, pay for the tournament entry, like go to them. That was like right before the pandemic hit. And I was like, I finally have the time and the resources to do this. And then it all got canceled. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's fine. Uh, then they started doing some online tournaments. They were extremely competitive. And the rule format was not to my liking. Like when you go to a tournament, it's like a best of three per round. This is more, uh, the online stuff was best of ones. So it was like really degenerate strategies would get you in. And then you get to play best of three, the different team. I wasn't good as I wasn't good at building like the, those type of strategies. I was good at building like the tournament ones, with like the limited time I had from working and taking care of other stuff. Yeah, the, those types of strategies always make me feel icky. And it's, it's like uh, I wouldn't say that I played it competitively, but I used to play Dead by Daylight pretty mm. pretty pretty hard. But I'm also just like I don't want to use specific perks because I think they're scummy, and yeah. I just refuse to use them no matter how good they may be. Mm. And I feel like I would end up doing the same type of thing with Pokemon. It's like, this seems like a really scummy strategy and I don't like playing like that. That's not fun. Yeah. I think over the years, it's been up and down about whether or not that wins you tournaments or not. I'd say it's been more like in favor of having, there's like so many good, like, you know, there's like maybe... You know, there's over a thousand Pokemon now, but out of all the thousand, like let's say in the current format, there's maybe like 70 Pokemon that are actually viable. And then maybe in the top cut people, there's maybe like 30 to 40. So still a lot of variety, ton of variety. And then when Incineroar was dominating, it's like that variety was still there. It's just 70% of teams had Incineroar and then other stuff. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But basically it's like, all right, we have the real... MVP right here, and the rest are cannon fodder. Yeah. Well, it's like, Incineroar is not going to do enough damage to win you the game. It's going to stop your opponent from doing enough damage to win the game. So, what you bring to do damage is up to you to build that strategy. And then, part of that strategy is getting around Incineroar. <laughs> I'm so happy it's not in this format. I think if the what, what for the people who are, like, listening and, like, don't play competitive Pokemon, just know that Incineroar, not being in a format makes it 20 times more watchable. And I'm hoping that if they bring it back, the new game format is going to make it not as good or they nerf it somehow. Cause they, this is the first generation where they did a ton of nerfs to Pokemon and I'm happy about it. With, with the, uh, the format as well, uh, if I remember correctly, a good chunk of the more modern competitive scene is usually seen with uh double battles, right? Yes. So to go into competitive format, the official Pokemon format, for the world championship and all the other tournaments that I mentioned are doubles. Singles is a grassroots thing that Pokemon doesn't put anything into. Like at most a tournament organizer will have like a fun side event with singles. It'll never be an official Pokemon company thing. 
And it's that's been the way it's been since they started doing this kind of circuit uh, world tournament thing since in Gen 5. It's been doubles. All right, so I've been doubles the entire time. Uh, um, since I think... With since Gen officially 4. recognized. Yeah. That's the officially recognized format. Um, singles is extremely popular. A lot of people play it. There's a lot of online community tournaments, everything surrounding singles is just not the one that the one, the Pokemon company recognizes. So I kind of, and I also like doubles more. So like, I think I kind of just lucked out in that way. But uh, I mean, I guess singles has technically been there since, you know, the first game, because mm-hmm. I don't think the original game really, if they ever did anything with doubles, it was insanely rare. Yeah, it was doubles wasn't introduced until Gen three, which was right. uh, Ruby Sapphire Emerald, and technically Fire Red and Leaf Green. Yeah, which those came after the those three. Yeah, and then even in the Fire Fire Red Leaf Green, I don't think there was. I can't remember many doubles. There was, was you could, roughly five of them. Yeah, it was very small. <laughs> yeah. You could do online doubles in those games, but you, you would need a link cable. <laughs> yep. Which, whenever I was playing it, because Fire Rose is my first Pokemon game, like okay. ever. So I, I have a lot of history with it. I think I still have my original cartridge, which has like 800 hours. Nice. Yeah. Because, granted, some of those are cheated hours because I would just leave it on at night. And, you know, I'd be in the middle of playing and pass the hell out and just, you know, rack up the hours. Uh, but I, I that that was basically my main uh, introduction to Pokemon and the main thing that sticks in my mind for Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really enjoyed Heart Gold and Soul Silver as well. I think I played Sil- Soul Silver. Yeah, and that 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 experience was really fun. But whenever my save file got corrupted, it kind of oh no, yeah, it, it made me. Mm, mm, I was not happy about that because it also had a shiny Mewtwo on it. Ooh, okay, uh, something similar happened to me actually, and I didn't play Pokemon for like seven months after it happened. Um, my 3ds, uh, that had like all my Pokemon on it, I had most of it in between like a copy of like X and like, I think Omega Ruby were my two games during that time when this happened, X got corrupted and that had all of my legendary Pokemon that I've been gathering since I've been started playing. And the most difficult thing to do in competitive Pokemon still, even though they've added a lot of quality of life to competitive Pokemon, like team building is gathering legendaries because you can't breed them for certain stats. You have to catch them with certain stats. Yeah. That, that does make it pretty rough. And the difficulty of catching legendaries in the first place are just kind of there. Yeah. Because they, they could just... I remember getting stuck on a loop very, very long ago with Mewtwo. And, like, I would do the strat of, I'm going to save right before I go up to him and fight him. Mm-hmm. And if I don't catch him or uh, he dies or whatever else, I just turn the system off, turn it back on, try again. Yes. Uh, I idiotically did this with like a small amount of balls. Oh, so if you ran out, that was also a fail state and you had to start over. Mm-hmm. And with Mewtwo, it is a pain in the butt to get to go through that cave the first time, especially if you're not like looking at like a map or something just to get to him. Yeah. And it it just, I remember hours upon hours upon hours of retrying. And I like, I don't know why I was still like being stubborn about it when I could have easily just like, just get out of the cave, go buy some more, maybe train up your Pokemon a little bit more. So he's not one shotting some of those or, you know, two shotting. And, you know go back in there try again i just kept going at it and going at it and going at it until one one lucky regular pokeball managed to do the job after like 
I think it combined 12 hours of attempts. And that was over, like, the course of multiple days. Because, like, after a while, I'd just be like, fuck this shit! Turn it off and try again another day. Yeah. So, a lot of people in competitive, like, their first few will be like that. And they're like, no, no more. I can't do this again. I need, like, so every, so it kind of goes in the cycle for how tournaments go. First year is, when a new game comes out, the first year will be only Pokemon that are catchable in the game's base game. So that is minus the two like box legendaries. So usually the Pokemon that go in the box, they're they're really powerful. They're not allowed in tournaments the whole year. And it's just like everything that's like pseudo legendary, like Dragonite, Tyranitar, Salamence, that power level and under. And then there's also like, you know, legendary dogs, legendary birds, Reggie's, those type of legendaries, they'll be allowed at the very end of the first year. Usually that's the first year for for competitive second year is the expanded format. Now, before there was a thousand Pokemon, it just used to be every Pokemon, same power level. None of those super ultra powerful legendaries. Now that it, there's so many Pokemon, they actually restrict second round of Pokemon that are added. And then the third year is what's called the restricted format. Um, Those box legendaries like Mewtwo, uh, Ho-Oh, Lugia, Iogre, Rayquaza, out on all of those you're allowed to bring two on your team and all the other pokemon that they added before that so usually people like have this like after that second year is done there's like a three three-ish month gap between worlds and then the next tournament startup again and it is usually people mad dashing to get legendaries in time if they didn't have legendaries previously so when i lost all of my legendaries and the next format coming up was that restricted format i just didn't even like care to watch that year i i lost everything like i like i didn't watch i didn't play it was probably like like this is like i had prepared so much to like participate too like it was probably the most devastating video game for a moment for me and i still haven't recovered all the pokemon from that time too so well i mean yes yeah, insanely rough to recover something of that nature yeah, I mean, I lucked out because now, like, uh, my wife, who has also, she's not into competitive, but she loves Pokemon and she likes watching as much as I do. So her Pokemon collection is actually more complete than what I'd lost. And I didn't really know how vast it was until, like, I checked her games recently because she will just collect everything and then not play. So I went through some of her older games. And I'm like, you have everything. And she's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But that, 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 oh god, that was like the biggest thing that upset me when I was younger, because I didn't have anyone to like play with. I didn't have a link cable or anything. So whenever I had um, like, like my my copy of Fire Red, it still has an incomplete, uh, at least regular Pokédex. Oh, because I haven't been able to trade with anyone for these like necessary evolutions. Uh, for like uh, Kadabra into Alakazam or Haunter into Gengar, mm-hmm. and, and it is it drives me up a wall. It drives me up a fucking wall because I'm like I I understand the point of it is to get you to interact with people, but whenever you don't have people not playing these games, it's kind of kicking the dick. <laughs> yeah, I think that that game design it was definitely more Japan focused because most people who had a Game Boy would be surrounded by other people. For the most part. <laughs> yeah. Well, imagine a kid playing on a handheld device, not being around people. Imagine. Yeah. In the West, it was more that like people could afford Game Boys, but you could be in an area where it's like the likelihood of you finding another person with Pokemon, depending on where you lived, was either super easy or very difficult. <laughs> yeah. And because I was always behind in times, it was insanely difficult. Because by the time that I would have it, people are like, oh, why, why didn't you get the new one? Because I'm, I'm poor. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, I'm, I think it's, you know, for the, the newer, the kids that are getting this generation's Pokemon, they, they have it, you know, they have the internet. It, it's internet Yeah, they, they definitely have it a lot easier nowadays. Yeah, and even when, like, so what Pokemon Company does now is that for the, the exclusives between the two games, they'll have an event where you can host a raid. It's like like four player person type thing. You could host that so that people in the other games can get it, 
and they just have to look when the event's going on to like go and catch it. Oh, all right. Yeah. That, that, that's actually pretty freaking dope. So you could have friends that have it and you could trade with them. And, but if you don't have that, they make a lot of events revolving around getting those exclusives. And it kind of keeps the game alive at the same time. All right. Uh, all right. I, I guess uh, this is a pretty good question for the people that don't know. What what makes certain Pokemon competitive viable? What 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 do you look for in their stats and move sets? Yeah. So I will go over some of the basics. Base stat total. So like, let's say let's probably the Pokemon that has been the most competitively viable since Gen 1 is Dragonite. The Dragon Legendaries have the most stats, but usually have the biggest weaknesses. But the big stats are usually more important than the weaknesses. Because you're you're the one that's putting on the offensive pressure. So they have to bring something to take care of you, not you're bringing something to take care of that. Then after the stat total, it's kind of like typing. And there is a typing hierarchy, and it kind of changes throughout the generations. And what's really interesting about this generation is that the, the core mechanic of the this gen is that you can change your type once per one Pokemon can change its type once per battle to another type of your choosing. So steel is defensively the best type. The steel has 10 resistances. The next type that has the most resistances is six resistances. So that's a vast difference there. It is. Yeah. What makes steel sort of balanced is that like the two, the three things that it's weak to are also fairly common. Yeah. Which is uh fire, I know that one for sure. Yep. Fire, ground, and fighting. So fighting is one of the best offensive uh, types. Fire is one of the best types. And ground is one of the best offensive types. And then after typing, it's kind of like not so much moves. Like there's move like types. So like uh, ability is kind of what matters next. So um, Incineroar, just to go back to Incineroar, because... Best example. Yeah. Um, it has... All the best things except for damage. And it does decent damage too. It just doesn't one-shot things generally. So it has the ability Intimidate. Just for swapping in Incineroar, it reduces the both opponents' Pokemon attack stat by one stage. So just sending out Incineroar, their, their attack is lowered. So physical attackers generally are stronger than special attackers, but they, there's more ways to combat physical attackers because Intimidate exists. And then Incineroars has an, the move called Fake Out. Fake Out is a priority move. It is one of the highest priority moves in the game. And it just stops you from using a move that turn. Yeah, it causes the uh, the flinch. Right? Yeah, the flinch status. So you can't use, unless you're a ghost or immune to flinching, which is an ability you can have. You just can't do anything. And then it has two moves that allow it to switch out. So you can pivot into another Pokemon. So... It's like Incineroar comes in, it, it intimidates you, it could fake you out, and then the next turn it could just leave and send in a Pokemon that does damage, and then you're weaker than that Pokemon, so you're going to KO them. And then the other thing you look for, because it's a doubles format, is Synergy. And a good example of Synergy is Weather. So in Gen 3 they added Snow, Hail, Sandstorm. Actually it might have been before Gen 3, but like that's when they kind of became really important. So rain, snow, sun, hail, and sandstorm. Some Pokemon make those weather effects and other Pokemon benefit from those weather effects, either just by their type or the damage they do or the abilities they have. And you kind of make synergy between your Pokemon to have it so that like not only are they individually good, but when combined, they're better than it's like the sum is greater than the parts, basically. And depending on what Pokemon they put in initially is kind of determines what weathers are good, which Pokemon who have Intimidate are good. Because you always see Pokemon with Intimidate on teams. You always see weather on teams. And you always see like, usually there's Pokemon that benefit from that generation's like a gimmick. And you see a mix of all those things together. And that's what makes a good team, essentially. All right. Interesting. Interesting. Well, there, there you go. You, you guys have the basic details of what to look for in your teams if you decide to become part of the competitive scene. Yeah. Or if you just want to crush those filthy casuals. <laughs> What's uh, another quality of life thing they added? 
like let's say you're brand new you've never played competitive you want to get in they've added something called rental teams basically it is like people who are really invested in playing make a really good team and just put it out there for everyone to use you don't need to have the pokemon you barely need to play the game usually like it's usually like after you get over whatever the tutorial part of the game is it'll unlock for you you just enter a code and you have these pokemon to play on ladder like you can go on the online ladder and use these pokemon all right that that that's wild that that's like the the old days of here you pay me 10 bucks and i'll train up your pokemon for you <laughs> just modernized and it's actually the the only expense you have is your internet bill the online service and having the game in the first place and the i guess in this instance console to play it on yeah like you don't have to like if if you're like sort of interested in competitive but you don't have the time or want to spend the time making a team you don't have to you can get a rental team and like go to the top 100 on on the ladder with with someone else's team that they built crazy but uh speaking from a little bit of personal experience with this one because it it just came to mind uh there there is technically as you said unofficial things that have the uh, competitive scene involved in it what what are your thoughts on the site pokemon showdown and their whole system with it so without pokemon showdown the level of play that is at the live events would be much lower. And I think like a couple of recent years, I don't think it was like, like this past year, but like in the past three or four years, I think Pokemon sent a cease and desist to showdown and showdown was like, no. And then it went nowhere. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're telling me they, they're like, I want to, to stop. And they're just like, Nah. I, I think just, what happened nah. is like the lawyers. I think what happened is like Pokemon's legal department was like, we should fight this because it is, it, it could be seen as a breach of copyright and we really need to protect the Pokemon copyright. And then they have a whole like competitive department. And I don't think they consulted the competitive department because it is literally how the competitive scene thrives and does their research. And then like once Pokemon Showdown said no, and they probably just let it like fade into old news. Yeah. I, for me, when I practice for tournaments, I play on showdown. It is not the same experience as playing on the game cartridge. So it is really for me, just a tool for um, preparing a team and then spending the in-game resources that I have to make that team. Because even though they've added a lot of quality of life, they have also made certain parts of team building time consuming. And if you make something wrong, you need to, you're going to waste time. You should be practicing getting that stuff ready. So basically you use it as a source for idealization and brainstorming. It's like, all right, they, these are the pretend possibilities, but like, you don't want to put forward that effort to train it up and just for it to end up failing. So this is basically, it's like, this might work. This is how I'm going to test it. And if mm-hmm. it works out nicely here, I will then apply it to the actual game and try to build it up there, and hopefully it recreates the same type of results. Right, exactly. All right, because I, I don't I don't hear a lot of people talk about it. I know there's some that do, and I remember I used to play it a little bit when I had a buddy in high school that was like incompetitive, but like specifically Gen Four. And I was like, okay, I'm like, I guess I'll play. I kind of like Pokemon, even though I kind of suck at these types of games. Mm-hmm. Because my my mentality with Pokemon is <clears throat> the 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 Vegeta tactic, whereas attack 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 attack. Yeah, so that 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 is a valid archetype. It's just hyper offense. Kill them before they can do anything. Yeah, and there's a there is it is probably the most one of the more common archetypes. But the people who top cut with it are few and far between. And there's usually a lot of respect for those players because in order for them to make that work at a high level, you need to know like, like your, your defense is your knowledge of the game, not your Pokemon. <laughs> so usually they know the most about the games and they just exploit people's like, they're like, I know that your Pokemon can at most only have this much HP and defense. So I know that my really super overpowered Pokemon can one shot you. Hey, but basically it's, it's become a math game. Oh, it is hundred percent. 
But no, honestly, that that is how I play my Pokemon games. I'm just like, status moves? What are these? Get them out of here! I mean, there is a European player who has who's come in second place two regional tournaments in a row now in EU that has zero protect. Like, the move protect is, like, a staple in doubles battles. None of their Pokemon have protect. That's wild. It is. And then there was an online tournament that I was in this Wednesday, like, for practice. Someone else who just used just... The guy put the team out there because he doesn't want... He's not using the exact, that exact team anymore, so he just put the rental code out there. Someone took that rental code into practice, and they went undefeated with it. That... Damn, all right. Yeah, so... That... Like, a lot of people were like, oh, I have to, like, use status moves. You have to know what they do. You have to know what stat- the status moves are in the game, in the current game. Yeah. You don't have to. Um, and it's, as far as, like, watching and using it, I think high-power offense teams are, like, some of the most fun to play. Oh, definitely. I mean, that's how I enjoy playing my games. I'm just like, I I crush and dominate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very satisfying. Uh, honestly, nowadays, though, uh, I've been trying to do the starter-only type of challenge, where, like, the only other Pokemon are t- in my team are already fainted, and I'll use them for HM moves. Yeah. And the new games even, like, have HM moves, so you don't have to worry that about that. That is really dope. Yeah. Uh, honestly, that was the about the only thing that I liked from the uh, Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee games. Because mm-hmm. that, 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 one, that one hurt me. It hurt a lot of people, and it wasn't made for the longtime fans either. But all right, let's 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 get into some nitty gritty. We know a good chunk about the community now. But what's the worst thing about the community? What what really is something everybody looks at and they're just like, ugh, what 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 the what the fuck is this? This is horrifying. This should never have existed. Okay, so, um, I I all right. There's two ways we could talk about this. And I'm curious which one you're more interested in. So there's the past because the past of competitive Pokemon and it's mostly pre COVID is a lot worse than it is now, which I'm happy to say, like it was one of the more problematic scenes. And because it wasn't as huge as like smash or like league, it didn't get as much coverage. And now post pandemic, there's a whole different set of issues and it's kind of, Worse in a more dystopian way. Oh, oh, <laughs> dystopian way. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Like the the problems that we have now in the scene are mostly like so. Like it's kind of like the, the community grew up. So in the past there was like issues with people like being abusive, people being like anti LGBT, like a lot of problems. And then they at some point like I kind of remember things that as generation during Sun and Moon they just started banning people, which was the best thing they ever did. I mean, honestly, yeah. Yeah, like, they just, they finally started cleaning up the community because, like, there was more people. It wasn't like they were relying on those people to, like, you know, compete and, like, be the best players. They just kind of banned them. Yeah, just after a time, just the little light switch Nosferatu finally clicked. <laughs> and it's like, oh, let's ban them! Yeah, so people got banned. Um, That's a good thing. It was kind of done at the local level, but it kind of, like, it kind of, it, it, it was resolved during that generation. Let's say I may also made the generation on when it was wrong, but that's kind of like I, I remember the sun and moon years kind of being where modern well-behaved, like good competition really started for the game. And then now post COVID. Let's let's dive into the dystopia. Yeah. So the price of tournament entry has over doubled. You. Yeah. It started off as free in Gen 5 because it was kind of like a marketing thing for Pokemon. Now it's less a marketing thing and more like this is a competitive esport, but we're gonna have the payers play for it for the most part. It's not really a marketing thing. Well, it is marketing, but like you're, if you're gonna enter a tournament, you're expected to pay now. The reason why it doubled is because the equipment needed to run the tournaments has it's not even like I think it 10x'd what it used to be for the older games. I mean, it makes sense because you got coming from being purely handheld consoles, which were a lot cheaper than actual consoles back then. So here's uh, every console up until the Switch and Nintendo was sold for a loss. It actually cost more money to make a 3DS than it did to make a Switch. And 
what you would do is you would go to a tournament, you'd have your 3DS, you would just you would just connect via the 3DS. There was no issues with cheating or anything like that. Now that the, the Switch is a computer, it is much more open to hacking. Oh, dear. And it has long-range Wi-Fi. So everything has to be wired connections. So, okay, Sword and Shield last gen was the first gen where they had on the Switch. All you had to do was wire the two Switches together, and you had to be in airplane mode. If one person wasn't in airplane mode, they wouldn't be able to connect, so the players kind of kept each other in check. That's all you had to do. Because Scarlet and Violet is unfinished, they have to set up local networks for the switches to connect. So the tables used to just be like, like it'd be, you know, seats that you sit, you could sit across from your opponent. There'd be numbers at the table and it'd be two docks that were like Ethernet wired together. That's it for Sword and Shield. Now, like over 70% of the table is wires. And in the middle of the table is a network hub and those network hubs are hooked up to like, I think they have some computers managing them, but they can actually just run themselves. And I know what the device is. It is not a cheap device that is connecting all these switches together. And if anyone touches a switch, spills a drink, accidentally like unplugs it, the whole table goes out. So I mentioned earlier that like you, they can't even support all the people that want to go to tournaments because it's like last year, like a big tournament was like 200 people. This year, the most recent, like the European International, around 2,000 people wanted to sign up. Yeah. They didn't have 2,000 slots. Yeah. Okay. I, uh, okay. And, yeah. More than quadrupled, I see now. Yeah. And the main limiter is that they need this expensive networking equipment and IT professionals during the tournament who know how to run this stuff. And it's not like they can't get it. It's that the cost of running a vi- the video game tournament because of how unfinished Scarlet and Violet are is way more than it was. So I don't know how that's going to go. And then the other issue is like, this was like a recent thing that happened and it like, this was like a more a personal story. So players with disabilities uh, go to these things and they're well accommodated for, which is something I'm happy to report. But uh, something really shitty that happened is like, it is the tournament organizer's job to, if let's say you're, you're up against a uh, player with disabilities they don't move the whole tournament basically they have an assigned seat anyone who's playing them goes to them makes it easier because the this most recent tournament had a person where they are on a ventilator they're in a wheelchair they're not going anywhere and they used to play the training card game but now they only play the video game because it's much easier for them to play the video game so what happened one round was tournament organizers did not grab their opponent to go bring them to their seat and what they ended up doing was giving the the disabled player a loss because they thought, oh, the person didn't show up to the to their seat. And so basically what happened was the judges didn't talk to each other. Both the disabled player and the other player reported that their opponent didn't show up. And they didn't figure out that, oh, they're playing the disabled player. Damn. So that, that that's, that's just a lack of communication issue that easily could have been solved. Yeah, and that's kind of been, that's like the most egregious example. But that's kind of been how all the tournaments have been going with the huge influx of people. It's just like it's it's a lot more chaotic now. It's chaotic. It is a 14 hour day, both on the staff and on the players. Very poor communication. And not everyone who wants to play can even go like it has grown so much over the pandemic that they can't accommodate the the community. People get left behind. The miscommunication happens and then they usually just rush it away. So what's unfortunate is that so many issues that came from the game being unfinished, the growth that's happened and just how they run the tournaments, it shifted from the players being the problem. to now it's like the organization around the tournament and like the community is just like, it is, it is super unhealthy to go to these tournaments and compete using your brain for, and being under stress for over 10 hours. Incredibly difficult. Yes. It's very unhealthy. Yeah. Um, but I think the good news about that is that um, they did change the rule format so that it's it can no longer be that long of a day. And they also made it so that more people advance to day two. So because what, what it used to be is that the trading card game players who are also playing at the same time at these events would it didn't matter as long as you got an, as long as you got enough wins, you would go to the next day to compete more. The video game, because it was such a small part of the tournament, like it used to be that it's like uh, a normal thing would be like a thousand trading card game players and like. 100 to 200 video game players 
Yeah, so a lot smaller in comparison. So they didn't have to worry about accommodating for the more people. And then for the first few tournaments, it was just like, okay, we're going to force everyone to to do a 14-hour day or longer if you were part of the staff. And then even if you had the same winning record as someone else, they only took top 32 people. And you would just, like, miss out on competing even though you had the same win record. Disgusting. Yeah. So they undid that finally. They still haven't fixed, like, the registration problem. Like, so the Oceana International Tournament, which gives you the most points and doing well on that probably guarantees you a slot in Worlds for the most part. Guess how many people could sign up for that? How many? It was only 200. They bumped it up to two, like, 40, I think. Oh, yes. An extra 40 makes all the difference. Yeah. And meanwhile, like, so first place at a international gives you 500 points. The most you need to qualify for worlds in any region is 300. Oh, so this is a highly, like highly coveted tournament to be a part of. And really important that, you know, people who are interested in being in, the, in competitive in this community, like go to those things. So you, you just got to get really freaking lucky with the two. God, that, yeah, that, that is absolute balls. Mm hmm. Well, hopefully a lot of these issues over time are going to get resolved because uh, from what I understand, the game is, you know, slowly getting fixed and updated and more shit's being added to it. Yeah. So uh, about that, I would say that their focus is not the competitive things that are missing. It's making sure that the the wide uh, that the, the, the people who are most commonly playing the game just for fun or for collecting, they're being taken care of first right now, which I think is the right move for them to make. But just even go deeper into like some of the issues they're having. Like, so this is the first year where every region plays with open team sheets. And I, I probably need to describe that a little bit. So before, before this, you would go to a tournament and there'd be a mode in the game where you can lock your team in place. So it couldn't be switched. They didn't finish the game. So it's not in this one. So for a few reasons, but most importantly, that one, when you play your opponent, now you, you trade, sheets and it tells you what moves your opponent has what item their pokemon's holding and because it's the new gimmick what like terror type they have like what type they could switch into and that's another thing that the tournaments are responsible for is making those sheets and handing them out to people which is more work oh, on everyone the, the mayhem <laughs> yeah that will ensue because you could get the wrong sheet ah oh. yeah i'm hoping i'm hoping soon a lot of this will over time get like fixed and adjusted and better strategies will be implemented. Yeah. Cause uh, obviously you can't prepare for something like that when your entire community very rapidly expands into literally five times its size. Yeah. It's estimated to be like kind of bigger than that. Cause it's like, I'm in the minority when I, cause I can travel. Like I, you know, I, I work as a developer as my day job is well enough where I can travel all over the United States for airfare, hotels, tournament fees for these things. Now, most people just want to go to their local one closest to them. That is maybe within driving distance, or maybe if they're lucky enough, it's in their state because there's about, there's like eight in the United States and they'll do one in Canada, but they're spread out all over the, all over the country. So it's like most people like can usually only afford or travel to one at most. Yeah, it's like, I can only go to this one specific regional. Mm -hmm. And like, for the East Coast, there's one in Connecticut, one in North Carolina, and they just, they had one in Florida already. So for the, for the Northeast, which is probably the most dense, besides California, like the, besides the West Coast, the most dense concentration of players, it's one regional this year. And then they get the international, which is in Ohio, which is still a bit of a trip for most uh, East Coast players. So they're suffering from the success of their game that they got during the pandemic. And uh, a lot of people can't be part of the community the way they want to be. Well, that is a bummer. An absolute bummer. I think a lot of it will be fixed by the time the DLC comes out, which is like really next year's circuit out. It's like it's not looking good for being fixed before then. So there's hope um, they're, they're doing. I think they are making a lot of steps to do the best they can. Really, the worst thing right now is just that there's too many people that want to play. Honestly, is that in a sense is a good thing. It is, but at the same time, it's, it causes a lot of problems, especially and basically now a new infant infancy stage. Mm -hmm. But you know, give it time; things will figure itself out, or 
we'll just f- delve further into the fact that it's just a really fucked up dystopia society and it's never going to get better and the entire world is going to crash and burn with it yeah but we'll 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 still be around yeah we'll still be around sitting around crying our eyes out because we can't go to the tournaments we want to go to yeah um yeah that's it's a it's an interesting problem for them to have and for the community to deal with overall it's it's been a lot the vibes around everything, the people, the maturity, um, the willingness to call out like bad actors has only gotten better since I've been in it. So Which is honestly an insanely good thing uh, that is such a positive because the amount of toxicity that can is, uh, exist in these competitive scenes mm-hmm. is ridiculous. It is. Hundred percent. Don't don't get me started on Smash. Jesus. <laughs> <sighs> Oh, I'd maybe another day. <laughs> but hell, so but before we close it up here, is is there anything you would like to say on the matter of competitive and why people should be a part of this expanding community? So I think just watching it, like the, the level of play that exists now and the amount of good players, the way the tournament is structured, you're guaranteed that whoever goes to the second day of the tournament is like, they could compete at Worlds and do well. Not everyone who is Worlds ready can make it to day two now because there's just so many people. So if you're watching the streams, like my, my one more thing is like watch the streams that Pokemon and for EU like Victory Road put up. Those are like the two main like channels, like the official Pokemon and then Victory Road's the EU circuit. Watch those streams. It is like everyone kind of has like a base understanding of how Pokemon works for the most part if you played video games. But seeing the level that people are playing at is I think some of the most exciting like chess-like entertainment that's out there right now, especially with this game. It is free to play on Showdown. It's not going anywhere because it is integral to the competitive community, which is a good thing, I think, overall. And if you do have the games, like it is the barrier to entry is just having the game, having online, and just going on Twitter and YouTube and finding a team that someone puts out there. And you can... There are more teams for you to play with than you have time of the day to play the game. I think it's like, this is, it's still like, we're like halfway through the year for like the competitive season. This Worlds is in August and there's like a gap like at the end before Worlds so they give people time to prepare. I think this is probably going to be the biggest year to like watch and it's probably going to be the best year to watch in a long time. So if, you, if you're like interested in Pokemon, give it a watch. It's on almost every other weekend, if not every weekend on Twitch or YouTube. Well, all right. I may have to check that out myself because now you, you've gotten me curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, this weekend is the Vancouver Regionals in Canada. Vancouver! Vancouver! Well, time of recording at All least. Right. So, uh, yeah. I'm sure when this comes out, there'll be, there will be another one. I guarantee it. <laughs> yeah, the, there's likely going to be another one after the fact, but I think by the time this one gets out, uh, the one that you just talked about is going to be irrelevant. Yes. But you can still watch it, though. <laughs> And yes, go back to the past. Go look on the VODs. You'll be able to watch it. Watch the finals. They're always hype. Yeah, I mean, the finals of any competitive scene is always fucking hype. Yeah. But, hell, thank you so much, man, for giving me your time today. The the hour and almost a half that you've given me where you could have been spending time grinding out and actually playing more Pokemon I, uh, is such an honor. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Sir, uh, anything it. you would like to uh, plug? Sure. Uh, you can find me pretty much everywhere, mostly on Twitch and Twitter at uh, prof underscore Tiberius. I am officially, I passed the test. I am a prof- Pokemon professor recognized by the Pokemon company. <laughs> uh, those are the judges for the tournament circuits. So uh, since I passed the test at the beginning of this year, I'm officially a Pokemon professor in the eyes of the Pokemon company. So that's actually legitimately pretty fucking dope. I'm not going to yeah. lie. So, uh, yeah, just uh, P R O F underscore Tiberius. That's where I am everywhere. And for those that don't know how to spell Tiberius is T I B E R I U S. That is true. That is, that's a difficult one. Just a wee bit. Not, not everybody knows how to spell. Apparently that's why I spell everything out on this podcast. <laughs> 
But if that is all, as you guys know, I'm accordion, where I plug myself at the end of every episode, because I'm epic like that. The best, the beautiful human sapien-like thing that I am. You can always find me on Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, numerous different platforms, mainly Twitch, though, at... The accordion covers T-H-E-A-C-C-O-R-D-I-O-N-C-O-V-E-R-I-S-T. This has been Fansation, your most lovely, fantastic podcast that you've all just now listened to. Be sure to check out the other episodes if you haven't already. We're on most other podcast streaming platforms, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, etc. Whatever you listen to. Be sure to give a follow, sub-sub, etc., And we will see you next time. Podcast.